Welcome to episode 63 of Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Izagari. And today we go back into the mind of Alfred Hitchcock with Spellbound from 1945. We've only covered Hitchcock one time on this show uh, until now. We did Rear Window about 10 episodes ago. That was a lot of fun. I think this episode's going to go a little bit differently. <laughs> something, tell, something tells me uh, it's not all hands on deck here for, for, for this Hitchcock. I think we have a, a different opinion on this week's episode. Yeah. Yeah, we do. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's going to come up. Yeah. It's going to happen. Uh, spellbound. Not at all what I expected. I, uh, I felt like this was what the snake pit could have become had it not been in the hands of someone who saw the worth in a story like this. It's very much, uh, I saw, I thought, I thought it was incredibly misogynistic. Uh, I I felt the story was beneath Hitchcock, Bergman and Peck. I felt they were all better than this. And it's pretty by the numbers, remarkably boring. And the twist is straight out of Scooby-Doo. It's absolutely bonkers. (laughs) I don't even I was, I felt myself just kind of not drifting off, but like looking to the side at like stuff on my wall. Like, oh, that was a cool poster. When did I get that? Like, just, (laughs) I did not have, it was not keeping me invested. And uh, that's a shame because I wanted to like this with, you know, the way we hunted this down, the way we found a copy on YouTube, considering how impossible this movie is to find, I was hoping this was going to be like the secret masterpiece I'd never heard of. Mm. But alas, no. Yeah, no, no. It, it's definitely not that. It's definitely not a one of the hidden Hitchcocks. You know, he's got so you know dozens and dozens of films he's directed uh, and been at the helm for, and a lot of classics. You know, like Rear Window. Uh, but there's all of these these kind of ones that are just like pieces to the yeah. to this great great Hitchcock puzzle, and some of them are bigger and better pieces than others. Uh, sometimes you'll find some of his old, you know, twenties and thirties stuff, actually, holy shit, this might be some of his best work. You know, I, I know a lot of people who think that way. Uh, you, you could just really like that kind of prime time fifties and sixties, just absolutely killing it. He has different parts of his career that you can connect with spellbound, you know, comes in 1945, uh, labeled as a psychological thriller, but I think you found it to be more of a comedy, <laughs> like an accidental comedy. It felt like a parody of itself. It was weird. Like, there are moments of dialogue where I'm like, this this didn't require a second take. Like, you're cool with that? <laughs> Incredible. So to, to, to go ahead and just get all, all the cards on the table, I, uh, I have not read your review for this movie, but what did you give it? I'll go ahead and read my review. I think that's the, probably the best way. To oh, okay, go, go ahead. Go ahead and then finish, off with the, get, then finish off with the number you gave it. Yeah, out of 10. Okay, I wrote this review last night. The more opportunities I have to dig into Hitchcock, the more I appreciate his incomparable talents as a filmmaker and as a storyteller. His filmography is so dense, though, that the journey will likely never end. And of course, like any director, there will be speed bumps along the way. Take, for instance, Spellbound. The triple threat of Alfred Hitchcock, Ingrid Bergman, and Gregory Peck should be pure gold. But this film is so melodramatic and inconsistent that I oftentimes found it hard to stay involved. The film is also notoriously hard to find, so I guess anticipation was a factor as well. Bergman plays the -the by-the-book psychoanalyst Dr. Constance Peterson, who is known at her hospital for being very analytical about everything in her life, which is already a weird character trait. Like, I love numbers. 
When she meets the new head doctor, Dr. Edwards, it's love at first sight. An immovable and confusing love that persists even when she learns he's not really Dr. Edwards and might have killed him. This guy is an amnesia patient who took Dr. Edwards' identity, and Constance puts her career and life on the line to help him find who he is. The journey there is fairly boring, regrettably, and neither Bergman or Peck is doing their best work. The character of Dr. Brulov is an irritating, misogynist bastard who is constantly belittling Constance for being a woman doctor. I guess in 1945, he was supposed to be adorable. Spellbound is one of Hitchcock's lesser works that doesn't quite hold up, but I don't blame him. The direction is impeccable. The fault here lies with the nonsensical story that paints female doctors as swooning lovers in waiting who will drop whatever matters to them if someone as handsome as Gregory Peck shows up and winks. Frankly, I don't think that's a good message. Maybe we leave this one in 1945. Six out of ten. Six out of ten. Okay, that's what I figured. Figure with the, the tone of that. It's not it's not a pile of garbage to you, but it's not worth worth the second look. Uh, and I I I, uh, I definitely like this movie. Uh, I give it four stars out of five, so I would say like an eight out of ten type movie. Uh, and my, my main reasons, I, I agree with everything that you said. <laughs> the reasons, the reasons I really like this movie are, I do think that Gregory and Ingrid have done better work, but I do like Ingrid, Ingrid's performance in it. Uh, the score by Miklos Rosa is fucking stellar. And yeah. then the, 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 there's a sequence that will get brought up multiple times on this episode. There's a sequence involving Salvador Dali that is, fucking amazing just fucking lights out type stuff and just, I, w- I was i was with you there were moments that were dull but when that moment hit i was like it's totally worth it uh it reminded me of kind of the the bit we have with alfred molina and boogie nights where you're kind of like all right what's going on here and then bang <laughs> you, know, you, you you just get kind of like an adrenaline rush and i love when mo- uh, a movie does that uh i also agree i think hitchcock's direction is very good uh, there's stuff he's doing here that's extremely impressive. Uh, George Barnes, the cinematographer, is whew, at, like lights out too. This is a movie that, like you said, was hard to find. It's on YouTube. Uh, that's how he watched it. So if you're interested in watching it for yourself and coming on back, go ahead and do that. It's on YouTube, you know, uh, along with all the filmgasm and uh, Oscar Sunday and sneak preview episodes and Giggle Guys. So check those out too. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I like when a movie splits us uh, where it's like there's a clear difference uh, in how we uh, not interpreted the movie, but enjoyed the movie. Uh, Interpretation is always, always fun to talk about, but you can't take away when something's good to somebody and when something's bad to somebody. Uh, and, and that looks like that's what we have on, on, on the books today uh, is a Hitchcock movie that didn't totally hit for you and one that I thought was, was worth my time. And I would definitely tell people to check out. Well, and I would never want to take away something that you thought was good. I would never want to tell you you're wrong. This is a bad movie. I would never want to do that. This is all open to subjective interpretation. What you may find in it, I may not find in it and vice versa. And the discussion is always what I look forward to anyway. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I'm not right. You're not right. Nobody's wrong. Nobody's right. That's how it works. And it wouldn't wouldn't be a fun, um, you know, hour, hour and a half for us if we didn't do things that are not just about, you know, spellbound or just about 1945. It's uh, focusing on something that's uh, a bigger picture. And someone like Alfred Hitchcock is very hard to pass up. This is something I've been wanting to do for a while on one of our shows. So today, 
I don't think Spellbound will be talked about in the next 15 to 20 minutes, <laughs> but we are going to be talking about Mr. Hitchcock. Uh, I, I asked Connor uh, last night. It is, it is currently Friday when we're recording this. It's actually Alfred Hitchcock's birthday today. If you're listening, if you're, yeah, pretty crazy. What are the, what are the fucking odds of that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And insane. I had no idea until I saw this morning on Instagram. I just saw someone shared a picture of him and said, happy birthday to the master of, you know, horror and suspense. And I was like, hell yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> and, uh, you know, here, here we are, you know, it's Sunday. If you're listening to this a couple of days after Hitchcock's birthday, but we want to kind of honor him, uh, a guy who's got a decent Oscar resume, but his resume when it comes to just cultural hits <laughs> and uh, recognizable movie titles. He's one of the, one of the best ever, maybe the best. So I asked Connor to prepare a top five, top five directed by Alfred Hitchcock movies. Uh, I have done the same. Neither of us have seen all of them. You know, we, we know that we've seen a handful and we think that the five that we both have gathered are very good movies and it's definitely worth talking about. I know we're going to have some overlap lap at some point it's, it's gotta happen <laughs> you know we, yeah. we we could we connect with we both really love a certain era of hitchcock uh out of what we've been exposed to so this is gonna be a lot of fun to see where you have them ordered um we, we're gonna go we're gonna go five to one of course i'll let you go first uh you know share what you want about each movie man because these are you know this is the time this is the time to kind of shine a light on hitchcock oh yes this is going to be fun uh Hitchcock is a director I had begun to explore outside the podcast and then with the podcast have just doubled down on that. Yes. Um, yeah. Number five is one that I pursued independently. Um, I used to do this thing on my Netflix uh, mailing list where I would just close my eyes and let the cursor land on a movie. And then whatever movie it landed on, I put it to the top and let them mail it to me. And this one is one that I did that for. It's 1941's Suspicion. Mm, very nice. Uh, Cary Grant and Joan Fontaine. It was Joan Fontaine's Oscar win. Uh, she marries a charming pathological liar and starts to think that he is trying to kill her to collect her insurance money. And throughout the whole film, you're not quite sure if she's just losing it or if he really is going to kill her. Even to the very end, you kind of still aren't sure. And that indecisiveness really keeps you on the edge of your seat the entire time. And they're both fantastic. It's such a cool, I consider it the first horror film ever nominated for best picture. Like there's, mm. there's horror elements in this thing that really kind of show where he would go next as a filmmaker. And it's such an engaging watch. I, re I recommend it for sure. Hell yeah. Yeah. That's I, I've heard you talk about that, that film a few times. And definitely one that's just people have to check out, you know, it, it comes at a really cool time for him too. I, I think, I think he's starting to <clears throat> make waves kind of all over the place when it comes to the early forties, you know, uh, that's where I'll start my top five off with as well as uh, 1940s Rebecca. Um, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, there's a lot, a lot of people talk about this one. This is a, a heavy hitter when it comes to Hitchcock, you know, Lawrence Olivia, Joan Fontaine, again, bring her up, George Sanders, Judith Anderson, all, all kind of knockout performances in this movie. Really, really make it work. Um, awesome stuff. It's, it's from a novel that I really want to read. Uh, it seems like this, this is the kind of story that, that can just kind of pull you in no matter what form of art it is. 
And you got to love when a guy like Hitchcock takes that and it just kind of explodes into what Rebecca is. The, the remake that was done, I have still haven't watched that, uh, that one that came out, I think like a year ago. Uh, Re- Rebecca is like a, such a special movie that I don't really want it to be tainted in any way. You know, it, it's the best picture winner. It's a Hitchcock best picture winner. So it's, it's, it's kind of in rare air and uh, a very important movie uh, to, to my mind and just kind of the greater Hitchcock in general. Take it from me, the remake, not nearly as terrible as I expected. It's I, Yeah, yeah. Bad. I've heard you say that. I've heard you say that. And it's like, <laughs> uh, I, he wouldn't I lead it, me astray. <laughs> I get the hesitation. I really do. Um, yeah, it's, it's just it's just a stellar movie that we we got to talk about it on Oscar Sunday way back, way back when uh, doing the Great Dictator. So, just uh, awesome movie. I would love to revisit it anytime. Well, it takes you know some serious sack to remake Hitchcock, and then even more to remake a Best Picture winner. So I understand why people are you know hesitant to check that one out. Uh, and every time they've remade Hitchcock, it's pretty much been a disaster. Uh, Oh, yeah. My number four is one that has yet to be remade and is also by the same author who wrote Rebecca, Daphne du Maurier. It is mm-hmm. 1963's The Birds. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's my number four as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Perfect. Uh, this movie, I saw this for the first time on the big screen because I had like a coupon at Alamo Draft House and they were showing it. And I was blown away. It is so creepy. There's a moment where Tippi Hedren is at a school and she sees these like a few one, two, three birds on the jungle gym. The camera pans away to look at something else. It comes back and there's like 400 birds on this jungle gym. And you're like, yeah, oh, <laughs> what was that? And it just gets crazier from there. It's considered one of his like finest works. It's a technical marvel for 1963, how he pulled that off. It's still hard to find the seams in like the real birds, the fake birds, the puppets, like it's all over the place and it still holds up. It's one of the best creature features of all time. And it's such a fun watch. Yeah. Uh, I, I would call it like a monster movie. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's truly frightening in the sense that, uh, when you when you're watching the birds, or you're watching Jaws, or you're watching, you know, fucking King Kong, whatever it is, you uh, uh, one of my favorites is Crawl from a couple years ago. Oh, that was great. I, I I love that inevitable. This thing is coming for me. I don't know why exactly. I don't know what exactly is going on. There's no rhyme or reason. I love when a movie is just operating off of that. Just operating off the simple fact that no matter what's happening no matter what people or actors are on the screen, a bunch of birds attacking them is really cool. It's like, oh yeah, I want to see that for, for two hours, you know, sign me up. And, it, and then the movie is, is done so well. Like you said, it's seamless. I think, I think that's why I, I, I still have it. He's somewhere in you know, my favorite Hitchcock movies that I've seen is that authenticity that it, that it has somehow, some way. I feel like, he he he's doing similar things that Spielberg did with with Jaws and Jurassic Park. He's just ahead of its time, just by enough, and did it just artistically enough to be to be really cool and really cinematic. Uh, he's he, Hitchcock is kind of a, a with movies like this. He's a he's a man of the people and of like 
Hollywood, you know, it's like, he's doing both at the same time. He's giving us this really, really cool fucking movie, but he's also doing it with just the most, the most talent you find. It's, it's oozing out of him at this point. Uh, you know, of course he comes off of doing another huge horror movie that I think is going to pop up. He, he's just a master at this point. And I think for me, there's something gratifying in films that are about nature fighting back. Like nature yeah. going after humans and monster movies, creature features do that all the time. And the birds is Fuck very yeah. much just, you know, a swarm of just fucking seagulls destroys this entire town. And we never know why. And there really isn't a why because there are no whys in nature. And I'm okay with that. You know, usually I need an explanation as listeners are well aware. But yeah. in this case, I'm like, yeah, I get it. Sometimes, you know, sometimes birds are assholes. Makes sense. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's just, it's just fucking awesome. It's like, yeah, hell yeah, sign me up. Sign me up for just, just pure chaos. You don't need to give me ifs, ands, or buts. Just, just chaos. And I'm cool with it. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. So that was your That's four great. as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, my three is also backpedaling a bit. My number three is Rebecca. Ah, okay. I figured, I was wondering. I was like, I, surely Rebecca, I know you love that one. <laughs> it is a very enjoyable whodunit. And I love the idea of the, the character of Rebecca just being this overarching ghost hmm. that is haunting every member of this family in one way or another. She was so perfect, but she was so sadistic, but she was, it's, it's so smart. And Olivier and Fontaine together is just magic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And yeah, I, yeah, I, this is another one we had to track down via YouTube. I remember having a really hard time finding this and I, I loved it. Uh, and as I've said, the remake is the only remake of Hitchcock that didn't make me squirm. So it's, but of course now knowing about army hammer, it probably will. Yeah. Yeah. I was about to say that. I was like, of course, you know, it gives you reason later on to, to squirm. Fuck. But yeah. the original yeah, yeah, yeah. remains one of the coolest 40s movies I've yet to, I've, I've seen so far. And just like a, a genuine kind of, I think, reflective moment for Hollywood in regards to Hitchcock where they realized, oh shit, this guy's a player. And here we are. Yeah. Yeah, I think <clears throat> speaking to its influence, like you said, with the title of Rebecca and this overarching kind of just, just like power, this force. Movies now do that. Horror movies are going to do that forever. They're going to they're going to do the like whatever it is you know, if it's Carrie or if it's pointing out this little this this female character and that it's just this kind of creepy figure, this thing, the witch. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. movies are going to constantly do that. Just kind of call out what it is in the title, but still leave you just kind of like, what the fuck is it? <laughs> And that's, that's, that's power. That's like serious power in, in movie making and just kind of influencing the, the, the industry that we love, you know, for decades. So he, he, he's done that over and over. Oh yeah. And I think you can kind of pinpoint Rebecca as the turning point for his career in Hollywood, where mm -hmm. he was pretty much given carte blanche from that point on until yeah. certain films where they were like, Whoa, Whoa, respect the code. And he's like, fuck the code. And yeah. I love that. We'll get to that. Get the code out of here. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, so that's your number three, Rebecca. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm going with the, yeah, another, another classic. Mine's, mine are pretty predictable here. 
I, I do love me some some popular Hitchcock, so I'm going with uh, 1959's North by Northwest. Ah, just just a <laughs> just a easy breezy fucking watch. Uh, a movie that one of the one of the movies that r- reminds me why I kind of watch movies. Kind of oh, I like this pace. I like when I'm. I like when I'm entertained with this sort of pace. Uh, it's moving in this direction. Uh, and that may be my favorite thing about Hitchcock is his understanding of, I got to keep my audience engaged. And what's the best, what's the best way to do that right now? And it's like, he's making that decision on the fly. <laughs> it's really crazy. In North by Northwest, uh, one of my favorite lead performances by Cary Grant. He's just stellar in that movie. I like him in that movie and charade a lot, those two, but he's just fucking perfect in this movie. Uh, I, I think James Mason is, is um, someone I'd like to shout out as well. Uh, those two performances are ones that stick out to me. I need to rewatch this. It's on HBO max. I, I own it, but I hope people ch- still check this movie out. You know what I mean? It's, it's one of those uh, just perfect, perfect movies with a, a Cary Grant playing a New Yorker. It's just, it just kind of works all the way around. James Mason is an actor I discovered like two, three years ago with the verdict and have just fallen in love. Mm. He is such a talented force. And I, I love everything I've seen of his. And yeah, North by Northwest, great shout out. I'm glad one of us had that. Uh, I love it because it's, it's almost like a comedy of errors. It's all of yeah. it is circumstance, wrong place, wrong time. And they, Grant plays it so authentically that you just fall in love. You're like, of course I follow this guy anywhere. Exactly. Yeah, it's like great. Harrison Ford. It's like, he's like, yeah. it's like Robert, Robert Redford, Harrison Ford, you know, these guys, Brad Pitt, these guys that you just, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> Whatever they're doing, I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. Cary Grant is like one of the, one of those guys of the forties and fifties. It's what's he had that quality that separates the bit players from the leading men. I don't know what it is. It's this charisma that every few actors seem to have of their generation. Grant was definitely the guy of the forties and some of the fifties too. Yeah. Has a few, you know, kind of bangers in the fifties. So yeah, he just, he's the man, uh, totally worth your time. You know, if you haven't seen North by Northwest, you just, you won't be disappointed. You know what I mean? You might, it might not be your favorite Hitchcock, but you will not be disappointed. That one's got, one of my all-time favorite Hitchcock scores. The score of North by Northwest is super fucking tense and just holds you in the whole time. Yeah. The tempo, the pace, it's just, Mm. yeah, it's so consistent. And it reminds you, like, oh my God, this is why I watch movies, you know? It really really does. I'll bring Harrison Ford back up. It does that same thing that, like, Raiders of the Lost Ark does. Like, holy shit. (laughs) When, When scene after scene is just stacked onto each other with the music and with the performances it's just it's just fun as hell and you can't deny it well said well said yeah this is there's a few i was reluctant to leave off this list uh north by northwest is definitely if i was making a top 10 it's in there yeah i yeah there's there's one that i had to leave out that i was i'm, I'm hoping pops up here <laughs> uh, I, I don't th- i don't think it is actually but I, yeah. I i love it maybe maybe you haven't seen this one uh maybe that's what it is but there's there's one i had a hard time leaving out my top two, if you know me at all, are incredibly predictable, but I don't care. I love what I love. <laughs> yeah, well, same, same here. So let, let, let's hear your number two and see if it's the same as mine. 
My number two is uh, the only Hitchcock film we've talked about in depth on this podcast thus far, Rear Window, 1954. Okay, so that that that's my number one. So I think I think, I think, I think I, we flip flopped. <laughs> I, I think I think everybody knows what's coming. Yeah. How could it <laughs> not talk, be? Let's talk about Rear Window. Yeah. Rear Window. Uh, I think is that's got that or Rope is the film where Jimmy Stewart effectively started to replace Cary Grant as Hitchcock's like go-to guy. And it's a match made in heaven. Hitchcock and Stewart. My God, it's, you know, it's fucking Scorsese and De Niro. It's beautiful. And rear window is such a fun, tense, engaging thriller. That is just so enjoyable from beginning to end that I don't know what more I could say. I know that we spent the pretty much the entire episode gushing about that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, enough said, go see rear window. Watch it. It's awesome. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's absolutely spectacular. Uh, it's on, it's on Amazon prime right now. If you have that, go check it out. Incredible movie. If you haven't seen it, you're probably not listening to this kind of a show. You know, <laughs> it, it's, it's so damn good. Everything about it. Uh, there's yeah, every everyone in it, Thelma Ritter and Grace Kelly, Wendell Corey, all these people are spectacular. But it's that, like you said, Al, Al, Alfred and Jimmy Stewart together is is just kind of uncanny. It's kind of crazy watching two guys work together that just know exactly what's going on. Um, Cary Grant definitely, you know, like you said, had that. But I think we both prefer Stewart. Stewart has something kind of just weird, kind of weird about him. <laughs> And I, I love weird actors. I, I love I love those guys who can just dominate a movie. Movie uh, and Jimmy Stewart does it with a different kind of swagger than anybody else. Uh, in Rear Window, he's doing it while sitting down the whole time. And it, a movie that can take place in one room, looking at a bunch of different places, you know, uh, across the way at an apartment building. That's kind of got my interest. Yeah. Same with the birds. Okay, on paper, you already have me. I mean, that just sounds cool. And then you, you put these people into the positions to make the movie happen. It's, it's bound to work. Uh, one of the best 50 movies, uh, I think, I think either of us have had the honor of seeing. It's just breathtaking stuff. But it was hard to put it ahead of uh, the other one, you know. Um, very, very difficult. It's kind of a coin flip between these two. I think Rear Window has, for me, an ending that I like just a little bit more. I think that I think that's what it sets it over uh, 1960s Psycho. Yep. <laughs> My number two, your number one. I mean, yeah, you know, when we started podcasting, you know, it was something that you had been wanting to do really bad. You know, it was something that you you were like, I got to do this. You know, I, I've been working on doing this. I want to figure out a proper way to do this. Uh, how I how can I release stuff weekly that you know people want to be on board with, you know? And, and I, I was like, well, that sounds super interesting to me. And of course, right away, one of the things we talked about was psycho. It was like, when are we going to do psycho? What is, what are we going to do for psycho? <laughs> <laughs> it's such, it, it's one of those movies you first talk about. There's, there's more movies we haven't done on film yet. We're approaching episode 150 soon. There, there's movies we haven't done that are on that list, you know, of just classic, huge monumental horror movies. But we had to do Psycho. <laughs> Psycho was something we had to do. Uh, we did it uh, in 2020. You know, it was it hit its 60th birthday. So 
it felt right to do it then. And I, I just remember having a blast just kind of gushing about that movie on a different, on a different podcast. <laughs> yeah. Psycho is special. It's, it's kind of Hitchcock's undisputed masterpiece in a lot of circles. It's yeah the yeah. only film that felt comfortable at the number one spot for me. It's, it was my introduction to Hitchcock. It's a lot of people's introduction to like horror movies in general in 1960. Like this was unparalleled. This was something no one had ever done before. A film about, you know, a cross-dressing serial killer who believes he's his mother. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> in 1960? And then to just spit in the face of the, of the Hayes Code so hard that it fucking broke is amazing that he paid for the whole thing out of pocket because no one believed in it. And it gave him like the highest returns of his career, gave him a whole second wind. It's incredible. And it still holds up. It's still creepy as hell. It's fun. It's exciting. It's got an incredible iconic score. One of the greatest horror movie villains ever in Norman Bates. And I think it's legacy speaks for itself at this point. It's it's psycho. It is, it is what it is. It's synonymous with Hitchcock. It's synonymous with horror films. And you can pretty much thank him for jumpstarting a whole new subgenre with this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I very well said. Uh, it's, it's pretty much perfect. And all those things that you're talking about with what it did for Hitchcock, what it, what it kind of means for him to have done it out of pocket how it has this extra kind of rebellious side because of that. It's like, yeah. fuck yeah, fuck yeah. Uh, and Mr. Anthony Perkins, uh, woof. <laughs> One of the better performances I've seen from that decade or, or maybe ever. Truly, truly something that probably should have been looked at for just straight up best actor at the Oscars. Probably should have won. Uh, you know, I love Jack Lemmon in the apartment, but... <laughs> <laughs> but Anthony Perkins is Norman Bates, uh, Janet Lee, incredible stuff. Vera Miles is awesome. He's this, 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 this movie is, uh, as big as it can get with movies. It's, it's on that same level. You know, there are some people out there who haven't really heard of Rebecca or North by Northwest or Vertigo, you know, a movie that I had a hard time leaving out of. <laughs> yeah. Great film. But Psycho, you just know. And you not only do you know, even if you haven't seen it, you, you know, you know what it is. You know, it's the, and you know, it's synonymous with the, with the knife going over and over and cut, 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 cut. And that people just enjoy that. But Hitchcock, that's like his, it's become his signature now that people talk about over and over. Is, is what he's able to do with that shower scene. Yeah. It's, it's, it's one of the most iconic movies, one of the most iconic scenes from a movie it comes from it. It's, it's, it's perfect. It's awesome. So there's no arguments with it being at number one. I just, as a movie fan, Rear Window is, is more my kind of movie. Uh, plain and simple. They're both masterpieces. <laughs> yeah, no argument here. And yeah, I have seen Vertigo and it was tough to not include that one. <laughs> Uh, Jimmy Stewart and Vertigo is pretty, uh, I don't, I don't know what's better in terms of performance between Vertigo and Rear Window with Hitchcock, but Vertigo, there's a sinister element to his character that just is unlike anybody else that Jimmy Stewart has ever played. There's this darkness inside that character. 
that really works. And I love the whole kind of mystery around it. It's, and it's a basic fear. You know, we all have some, I think a little bit of fear of heights. I think all of us have that. Mm -hmm. And to play with that, you know, our elemental fear is something Hitchcock was doing decades before anybody else. Yeah. So cool. (laughs) So cool. Uh, We're going to be watching his movies forever. You know, he's, he's the most, most prolific big time a-list guy that's ever, ever existed in movie history. So yeah, uh, he's going to be a guy that comes up and it was cool to do rear window. And then it's cool to do something like spellbound, which is lesser known and uh, definitely divides us as far as how we enjoyed it. So yeah. I like that. I like, I like that he has the movies that are universal and then he has the movies that are, are have little, you know, cult fan groups and, and that's it. Uh, spellbound 1945, uh, the 18th Academy Awards, you know, sometimes I just think about how far, <laughs> how, how far these categories have come, how far this show has come just obviously with the existence of, you know, television now and everything, being, you know, its own show that's on primetime TV on Sunday nights. Uh, the Academy Awards are not always the same, you know. <laughs> yeah. But this one, this one, what's really cool about this one is uh, it's actually hosted by, of course, Bob Hope, who hosted like every fucking ceremony. Uh, and, then it's, and then it's hosted by Mr. Uh, Jimmy Stewart, our yeah. man, our, our guy. Uh, really, really cool stuff. Uh, the best picture winner from this ceremony is The Lost Weekend. Uh, the Bells of St. Mary's, awesome movie. Had the most nominations with eight. Uh, interesting year, but I definitely want to, um, you know, really focus on some of the individuals that are involved. Uh, even if you didn't love Ingrid Bergman's performance, we're going to talk about her. <laughs> you know, she she's an absolute titan and someone that has to get brought up on Oscar Sunday. But uh, we just talked about Hitchcock a bunch, so let's just quickly go through his um, his Oscar resume here, just to kind of you know, get our, our brains fresh. Uh, he was nominated for Best Director, uh, Rebecca, 1940. Nominated for Best Director, Lifeboat, 1944. Nominated for Best Director, 1945, Spellbound. Uh, nominated for Best Director, Rear Window, 1954. And then nominated for Best Director, 1960, Psycho. So there's, you know, famously no wins. Gets a honorary award in 1968. But uh, yeah, one of the guys they just missed on that's very well known, very well known that Hitchcock is one of the probably the best guy who hasn't who didn't win an Oscar. Uh, you know, typically they try to cover their, you know, cover their bases and give every big time, huge director a win at some point. Uh, and not not Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> that's a damn shame, especially when you look at the films he was up for. There's still so much missing. Mm-hmm. Um, this man has so many like secret gems in his career that you're never going to be done finding them. There's so many films, and you know, he was working from the silent film era all the way to the fucking seventies, which I still can't believe. And the guy, you know, there's an argument for him to be the goat. We talked often about the, you know, who's the greatest in terms of acting. I don't think we've really talked about that in terms of director and Hitchcock is up there. I think he's, he's in contention for at least, you know, top three spots. Yeah, that's, yeah, I, th- I think it's similar to the, you know, uh, actor, actress conversation or, or even someone who's writing movies. I think it depends what you value 
as a as a fan, uh, do you? And the best example to me is if you look at Denzel Washington and Daniel Day Lewis. Daniel Day Lewis has three Oscar wins, six nominations altogether. Denzel Washington has two wins and eight nominations altogether. But Denzel's filmography, when you look at it on IMDb, is, is very, very full, almost a movie per year. Uh, sometimes, you know, multiple movies in one year. Uh, and Daniel Day-Lewis, as we've talked about, and as everybody knows, is a, a guy who likes to have a high batting average. <laughs> he, uh, especially later in his career, started skipping multiple years uh, until he took on another role. You know, I think that famous 2002 to 2007 gap between Gangs of New York and There Will Be Blood is, that's huge, you know? And, <laughs> and that, that means he's probably taking it pretty seriously. Do you value one of those over the other? Do you value Daniel Day-Lewis knocking out of the park over and over and over 30 times? Or do you value Denzel Washington knocking out of the park 30 or 40 times, but then having 30 more you know, so-so movies or so-so performances. I think with directors, you know, you can have a, a Tarantino who's like, I don't see a weak link here, you know, uh, but he has under double digits, you know. Alfred Hitchcock has tons and tons of movies you could never run out of, but some of them aren't as good. You know, some of them are kind of weak. What do you value more? I be- I'm definitely a quality over quantity guy. I, I prefer Me good too. movies over a lot of movies. Uh, and per, like my personal favorite director of all time is Robert Zemeckis, but that's because of personal taste. Um, in terms of greatest, I really, I wouldn't know. I don't think I've, I'm not far enough on the journey to make that assumption. yet. Me, me neither. Me neither. I see. I'm, I'm with you. Like my favorite is Paul Thomas Anderson. You know, there is no movie that's less than, you know, an eight, you know, they're all eights, nines or tens to me. Every single movie that he's made is very, very good to me in my opinion. So that's just, that's just how I see it. And, you know, Tarantino, same way. Fincher's kind of in that same zone. The Coen brothers are close to that. You know, they've, they've done a shit ton of movies and I I like almost all of them. (laughs) Yeah. And that that's super valuable to have just a bunch of hits over and over. And for you, Zemeckis is someone that has, not too, too many, but just enough to kind of make a collection of really cool movies. And he's done some, some stinkers, Zemeckis has, but his triumphs are so personal to me and my childhood and my development that it's, there's no one else who's going to fill that gap. No one else hmm. is going to give me Back to the Future. <laughs> no one else is going to give me Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And it's just, yeah. Uh, before we go on, I, I want to mention something I saw the other day on YouTube. It was a clip of Daniel Day-Lewis breaking character. And as Daniel Plainview. Yeah. You saw that? Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. I've seen that. It's hilarious. Yeah. It's just a smile. That's all it is. That's, that's him breaking character is just like one little moment of like, this is fun. And, and then he's back into Daniel Plainview. It's fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's nuts. What a, what an awesome movie. <laughs> like there'll be blood is, is, the fucking shit and and he's 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 the main reason why uh while i i love johnny greenwood's score and i love pta i love everything he does behind the camera it's daniel day lewis that's just fucking destroying that movie uh he yeah one of the better performances i've ever seen so i love being able to talk about him and i think i think it i think it really does you know you you look at these individuals and you look at what they've done what they've 
kind of given to culture. And for you and I, we're on the same page that it, it matters when you consistently give something that, that, that does matter to the culture that we can talk about, that we are proud to talk about. Uh, that's why we're so heavy on guys like Tarantino and Paul Thomas Anderson and Robert Zemeckis. Uh, you know, I think these guys like Spielberg and Hitchcock that have these massive resumes, it's fun to just look at it and kind of poke holes at it because there's so many. Uh, they, they knew what they were doing. They knew that their people were going to look at their legacy. Uh, Hitchcock knew. He knew the whole time. I'm, I'm creating something really special. Some of these movies people are going to adore and some of them people are not going to connect with. True. And even in, you know, a time in Hollywood when you had to be prolific or you were going to disappear. Yeah. Yeah. Hitchcock was still delivering way more memorable thrillers than stinkers. Like he, he was like good at his job. <laughs> you know, everyone's yeah. gonna, everyone fails occasionally, but even his failures were still pretty decent flicks. Exactly. Yeah. You can really choose any, you know, take the 39 steps or Jamaica in, or like you just pick one, the man who knew too much. You just pick one and chances are you're going to, you're going to enjoy yourself. And that's, that's fucking crazy. <laughs> well said. Yeah. Well, yeah. Love the guy. Uh, love the guy's work. Uh, the man himself, you know, that's, that could be, it's, that could be its own episode. Uh, Ingrid Bergman. Here's, here's a, a woman who's definitely stolen our hearts uh, uh, while kind of doing this show. We knew about her, but didn't know, didn't know enough. Uh, now being able to highlight her multiple times on this show is, is very special. We chose Gaslight as its own episode. Uh, and here we are in the 40s again. Definitely a movie that I think about when I think 40s. I think about Gaslight. I think it's fantastic and i love that she won for that she was also nominated for whom the uh for whom the bells the bell tolls sorry that's a tongue twister 1943 <laughs> got that win for gaslight 1944 uh nominated for the bells of saint mary's same year as spellbound 1945 uh, she was nominated for joan of arc 1948 she got another win for anastasia in 1956 uh, another win uh in 1974 for murder on the orient express and then her last nomination, uh, 1978's Autumn Sonata. So yeah, pretty. See that that the three three wins on seven nominations. This is a special zone, and she's someone that I, we've just kind of scratched the surface. You know, she's got all kinds of work I kind of want to dabble in. Apparently, she was amazing on the stage. You know, she's someone I want to learn more about, and it's kind of because of this show that I have pushed that. You know, I've got I've taken that further. Uh, in Spellbound, it's not. It, it, it definitely is not the best thing I've seen her do. But she she has something. She has something a star power that I, I can't really. It's kind of intoxicating. I can't really explain it. Can't put my finger on it. Doesn't. I don't even know who she reminds me of. She's just kind of her own. Her own her own beast. You know. I I love watching her. Uh, even if even if it's spellbound, which is definitely a little bit sillier of a movie <laughs> than, than uh, some of these other ones, you know, Autumn Sonata, she's absolutely breathtaking in, and that's when she's much older, and 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 then something like Gaslight in the middle of her prime, she's she carries that movie. She she's so so good in Gaslight. That movie is well worth anybody's time. Yes, yes, it is. Um, regrettably, I haven't watched any other Bergman films between Gaslight and Spellbound. So I don't really have much to add to the ongoing conversation. 
uh, a lot of these classic people, I tend to explore their work through this show. Yeah. So really, I guess I'll just, you know, wait until we go back to Bergman, which could really be at any moment. She's got so many, she's touched the Oscars so many times. And I mean, her work speaks for itself. She's amazing and she's gorgeous and talented and just a, a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, yeah. I remember bringing her up briefly when we talked about Chinatown, 1974, because she wins she wins for a murder on the Orient Express. Yeah. Uh, I obviously remember talking about her in Gaslight. Uh, I should have I should have told you because I think you'd really like uh, Bing Crosby, Ingrid Bergman, The Bells of St. Mary's. Yeah. You know, she's nominated in the same year that Spellbound comes out. Yeah. Um, you know, like you said, you were either prolific or you weren't <laughs> back then. That's as a director, writer, or or an actor, as a performer. And so she's in Spellbound and The Bells of St. Mary's in the same year as the lead. And she's she's just fantastic. Someone that I highly suggest you people just pick a couple movies, pick a couple that she's been in and check them out. And you'll you'll kind of find out why she was so highly regarded and is you know one of the more important figures in cinematic history damn straight but before i watch the bells of saint mary's i'm gonna have to watch going my way because it is a sequel yes yeah yeah you definitely definitely have to see see both for it to make for it to all make sense no yeah yeah man she's awesome (laughs) you can talk about her talk about her all day like you said she will come back up at some point inevitably because that's the kind of uh oscar winner and nominee she's been uh gregory peck you could say the same thing about him uh his oscar resume spans for about 20 years uh we'll we'll start down in the 40s uh the keys of the kingdom a movie i have not been able to see from 1944 that i've heard really cool things about uh the yearling 1946 Uh, he's nominated again Uh, and then he gets his third nomination 1947 gentleman's agreement another movie i've got to see uh, and then here's 12 o'clock high, 1949, his fourth nomination. And then finally, this is really cool when you see this. On his fifth and final uh, acting nomination, he gets a win for Best Actor in a Lead Role to Kill a Mockingbird, 1962. Really cool to see Gregory Peck finally <laughs> finally get the gold. This, this, is, this is like Leo. This is like Leo's run to The Revenant. We're finally, you know, <laughs> this guy uh, goes against tough competition on his whole career at the Oscars. And then finally has that role. That's just kind of undeniable. Uh, and with the Revenant, I feel the same way about To Kill a Mockingbird, you know, obviously huge, hugely important book. Uh, and all, this is a, this is a damn good movie. It's definitely worth your time to just watch Gregory Peck at work. Uh, he, he's great. So um, he's not, He's not like my favorite guy to watch, but he's good. You know, he's really good. I, and I understand the kind of the energy around him that people had around him. You know, the, the female audience obviously was very obsessed with him, still is today. If you read Letterboxd reviews about any of his movies, you know, there's women still just swooning over, <laughs> over Gregory Peck. It's, it's awesome. He, he, has, he has that same kind of power we were talking about with, uh, you know, Robert Redford, Cary Grant. Brad Pitt, these guys who just kind of transcend, uh, yeah. transcend through the screen and just kind of touch your heart. Like on some level in Spellbound, like you, I kind of get it. You know, if Gregory Peck walks into a room and I'm Ingrid Bergman, I'm going to be like, oh my God. And if I'm Gregory Peck and I see Ingrid Bergman, I'm going to be like, oh my God. There's going to yeah. be an attraction there. 
Those are two yeah. remarkably handsome, smoky human beings. <laughs> and I guess yes. I just would have written it better. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Gregory Peck is a powerhouse talent whose work I've barely tapped into. I have an unfortunate confession to make. I have not seen To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah, you'll, you'll get there one day. You'll enjoy it. I've read the book and I watched clips from the movie in my ninth grade English class. But other than that, I, I've not sat down and watched the entire movie and I really need to do that. But to me, Gregory Peck will always be synonymous with The Omen. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> Ambassador Robert Thorne, who makes the worst parenting decision in the history of having kids. I'm just going to swap the babies. No one will notice. Yeah, In the history of movies, yeah. The worst parental decision of all time <laughs> that is still like that movie gets under my skin so oh, easily it is one of the creepiest dude, movies of all time we just talked about the birds not too long ago the scene with the monkeys on the <laughs> omen oh get like fucking get out of town that movie is awesome epic i feel like it's gotten brought up randomly on different episodes we've done throughout yeah throughout film guys and uh, we both just really really like that movie <laughs> if we're gonna we're gonna talk about jerry goldsmith the omen's gonna come up we're gonna talk about gregory <laughs> peck the omen's gonna come up <laughs> if we talk, about Leo schreiber, we talk about lee of schreiber we're gonna talk about how the new one's not very good and we're gonna talk about the old one. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah it's yeah it's been a minute since I watched that and I don't really want to again. No, I, I watched it for our episode on the Omen and not, never again. That's it. I'm done with it. <laughs> Surprisingly, the Omen 2 from I think like 1978 or 9, not bad. Okay. Yeah. I Damien is like a 12 year old who's like, what? I'm the Antichrist. That's weird. <laughs> I believe you on that. Yeah. Okay. That's <laughs> what? It's me being 12 years old and somebody telling you like, oh, you're the Antichrist to hail Satan. And you're like, oh, all right. Uh, now what? <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, man. Well, you, you just you just mentioned a, a second ago uh, how you would have written the movie better. Now, the, the screenplay writer here is uh, Mr. Ben Hecht, and he's been nominated six times and with two wins. Let's let's hear, hear what we got. 1927, Underworld got a win for Best Original Screenplay or Best Original Story. Uh, nominated in 1934 for Viva Villa for Best Adapted Screenplay. Uh, then he won Best Original Screenplay again, The Scoundrel, 1935. And then nominated three more times in the 40s. Uh, well, for 1939's Wuthering Heights, Best Original Screenplay. Uh, 1940, Angels Over Broadway, Best Original Screenplay. And 1946, Notorious, Best Original Screenplay. Notorious, of course, is Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman. Obviously a movie we have to see at some point. <laughs> yeah, we should have done this. <laughs> this sounds really good. I've, I've heard of Notorious in passing, but I've never really investigated. Grant, Bergman, Claude Rains. Oh, my God. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and just two, just two nominations uh, for Claude Rains and Ben Hecht Screenplay. So that would have been a cool movie to do. That's one of... Uh, well, Spellbound is a little bit, but this is even more underground. Uh, doesn't even have, because Spellbound has a Best Picture nomination. You know, Notorious does not have that. These are Alfred Hitchcock's films. All of these films should be preserved and put in collections so people like us can easily access them. Like, I, I don't like this cat and mouse shit. I want these movies. 
<laughs> give them to me. Uh, yeah, I think, I think if it would be, it would behoove one of those massive streaming services to just go ahead and buy every single Hitchcock movie and say, this is the home of Hitchcock. Uh, and and go ahead go ahead and buy Alfred Hitchcock presents so you'll have a nice TV show to kind of pair with it. <laughs> uh, I think that would be you know maybe someone's thought about that, but you know if HBO Max was like we are the home of Hitchcock, not just his classics, but every single Hitchcock film. Oh, I would sign up. I would sign up for that service if I didn't have it already. You know if H- if I didn't have HBO Max and they said. We are going to have every single Alfred Hitchcock movie from, you know, forever. I would sign up. Yeah, me too. That's amazing. <laughs> Here's hoping. I mean, I don't I wonder how difficult that would be. I feel like did he work with a lot of different studios or a lot of his films just under different umbrellas? It, it must be. It must be that way because it seems like it's like I have this weird ass collection of 15 Hitchcock movies and they're so random. They're all over the place. Uh, and I'm really glad I have it, but it's very hard to kind of have like context with his career when yeah. you're just watching random shit, you know. Uh, but that that is that that's what we we've, we've been talking about all episode is he has so much. It's hard. It's kind of hard to not get lost. <laughs> true, very true. And Ben Hecht, I'm looking at his screen like his filmography. I'm sure he's a very talented writer, but you know Stephen King wrote Insomnia, and that was shit. I'm just saying. Every writer has at least one uh, yes, piece of, of shit. of course. And this is the Oscars. We can't really trust them, you know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, man. Uh, the next name that, that I want to bring up is, is definitely my favorite aspect of Spellbound. It's uh, the music. I want to talk about the composer, Miklos Rosa, uh, a guy who's got a lot of nominations. So bear with us here. Uh, we'll start, start at the bottom, 1940. The Thief of Baghdad, best original score. Uh, basically, all of these are score, you know, scoring of a dramatic or comedy picture. I'm just going to read the names of the movies. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that'd be a lot easier. Uh, the Thief of Baghdad, 1940, nomination. Sundown, 1941, nomination. Uh, Lydia, 1941, nomination. The Jungle Book, 1942, nomination. Uh, the Woman of the Town, 1943, nominated. Nominated, double inden. Not sure if I know what that word is. Inden. Oh, double indemnity. Yeah, that's a class. Indemnity. Okay, I think I've. Yeah, I was gonna say I've. I've, I've heard of that. Look at that cast. Jesus. Nineteen forty-four. <laughs> nominated. A song to remember. Nineteen forty-five. Nominated. The Lost Weekend. Nineteen forty-five. Nominated. Spellbound. Winner. Nineteen forty-five. Ah, as I suspected. <laughs> the Killers. Nineteen forty-six. Nominated. A Double Life, 1947, winner. Quo Vadis, uh, 1951, nominated. Ivanhoe, 1952, nominated. Julius Caesar, 1953, hmm. nominated. Ben Hur, 1959, winner. And then we got El Cid, uh, best original song and best score, nominated for both 1961. So very long list of Oscar you know, nominations and some wins. And those wins, you know, are Ben Hur, huge movie, A Double Life, 1947, and Spellbound, 1945, the movie we're talking about today. So that's that's huge stuff. This is a guy I had no idea who he was, but now I won't be able to escape his name. I'm going to start seeing it more because I know what it is now. And when you you just go down that list, 
going from 1940 to 1960, there's like fucking 12 movies there. So pretty, pretty crazy resume. We, we come across that occasionally with these technical people, these folks that work behind the camera that do something with music or, you know, production design or costume design. Sometimes they just stack them up like nobody's business. They, they make the, they make the performers like, Oh, cute, cute. Gregory Peck, you have five nominations. I have, you know, I, I have 20. <laughs> so it's crazy to look at some of these people. Yeah. One of these, you know, composers or costume designers talking to Ingrid Bergman and just like picking their teeth with an Oscar, just like, Oh, that's cute. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> three Oscars. I remember when I had three Oscars. Yeah. Oh, nice. Seven nominations in a whole career. I did that in five years. <laughs> this is, yeah, I think this, this guy though, special, uh, Miklos Rosa, because as we've often seen in films of this era, it's really hard for the soundtrack to stand out. Hmm. And when you can, when you see these guys doing things with the score, you know, pairing them with character moments and shit like that, you, they stand out. You remember that. And I love that. I, I think that that, I hope to see more of that. Agreed. Yeah. I'm with you on that. Can't, can't argue here. Uh, I <laughs> love looking at these people and seeing the connections that we have and how movies get brought back up uh, or directors. Cause you know, we were just wondering about Hitchcock and the studios he works with, you know, sometimes you can just look at IMDb and make the connections of these movies that people worked on. Uh, this is, the cinematographer, George Barnes, uh, man, some of the stuff that's happening in Spellbound is, is very, very cool. Very much uh, without that aspect of it, I definitely wouldn't like it as much. You know, I was, I was entertained by the production. I was entertained by the, the people behind the camera were the most engaging part of Spellbound. <laughs> And, and the, the combination of George Barnes and Alfred Hitchcock is obviously really good. As in 1940, uh, George Barnes won the Oscar for Best Cinematography for Rebecca. So that's clear, clearly a good, good you know, chemistry going on there. <clears throat> but starting at the bottom, 1928, actually 1927, he's nominated for both The Devil Dancer and The Magic Flame. <laughs> what in the hell? <laughs> and then in 1928 nominated for Sadie Thompson and our dancing daughters. So it's like, there was no other cinematographers. They're like, we just got to go with this guy. There's no other movies happening. <laughs> Can you imagine now if Roger Deakins were up twice in the same, you know, in the same category of five cinematographers, <laughs> that'd be so fucking ridiculous. Well, I thought it was weird in 2000 when Steven Soderbergh was up for director for Aaron Brockovich and traffic. Like, yeah, just, who's going to win this year? I wonder. <laughs> like, does he need both nominations? That's a little much. I mean, give someone else a chance. Yeah, spread the wealth. That's what you guys do, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, like I said, he was, he, he was working on Rebecca and got a win for his cinematography there. Obviously impressive stuff. Uh, the Spanish Man, 1945, nominated. Spellbound, 1945, nominated. And Samson and Delilah, 1949, nominated. The movie poster for Samson and Delilah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It looks like Boogie Nights. It looks like, it looks like the Boogie <laughs> Oh, I love that they, they were able, you know, the only movies that would sneak past the Hayes Code unchecked were Bible movies. So I'm sure they got away with a lot of shit 
in movies like this because that yeah. is very homoerotic right there. Guess who directed that one? Ah, Cecil. I remember you. Ten Commandments. Yeah, definitely likes the Bible. Definitely likes telling stories from the Bible. <laughs> does he, or does he just not like, or does he just like not being fucked with by the Hayes Code? Yeah, he's like, I just want to work. Yeah, I just want to make some money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> George Barnes, you've uh, got, got a cool resume, and I love looking at cinematographers. One of my favorite aspects of of this of this craft that we that we've fallen in love with uh, of filmmaking figuring out figuring out those things the lighting and what exactly the film is going to look like is usually my favorite part of my favorite movies it's usually the way they look the way they're filmed the way they're captured uh and just i love shots i love good shots (laughs) uh this next gentleman uh is the art director as i mentioned we've been talking about these people more and more on this show as we kind of realize just just how important you know these these roles are within you know we we all know the names of Cary Grant, Ingrid Bergman, and James Stewart and these people we're talking about but these individuals uh we're always going to shine a light on I'm never going to stop talking about that never going to let that down uh, I think it's one of the coolest things we do on the show so Mr. James Basevi the art director another cool uh, resume that is going to have movies that we've been talking about already uh, 1939 Wuthering Heights nominated for best art direction uh, the Westerner, 1940, nominated for Best Art Direction. That's fucking Gary Cooper crushing it. Uh, the Gang's All Here, nominated, 1943, Best Art Director. Uh, then one in 1943 for The Song of Bernadette. Fantastic. Got his, got his Best Art Direction win there for Interior Direction. Uh, de- sorry, Interior Decoration, Black and White. Uh, and his last nomination was 1944, The Keys of the Kingdom, Best Art Direction. So... Obviously, uh, a guy who knew what he was doing uh, passed away at age 70 and just kind of worked the entire time. So I have a lot of respect for this guy. I love, love looking at his resume. The first four movies are Spellbound, The Searchers, East of Eden, and Wuthering Heights. Pretty cool. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, yeah, we've got we to gotta look into James Dean. He's uh, you know short-lived, but oscar decorated and i gotta understand why uh east of eden i, I picked that up recently so hell yeah i have that too yeah it is time. yeah yeah that, that, that would be a lot of fun to, to just do kind of a an episode based around him the way we kind of did olivia uh to have one last week uh I, I like kind of doing that kind of honing in on somebody the way we did hitchcock today uh giving them kind of like a proper you know, a few moments to just kind of appreciate what they've done and what we like most about them. So I love doing that, man. It's the best. Uh, two, two more people I want to talk about before we kind of get to our awards and start talking more about Spellbound. Uh, it's Jack Cosgrove, special effects. Now, special effects back in the day, much different than now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Much, much different. But there's, you know, there's something to say about this man's resume. Now, there's only five movies on this Oscar resume, but all of them have, have a certain significance. Uh, of course, Spellbound being one of them. That's the movie we're talking about today, 1945. Gone with the Wind, nominated for Best Special Effects, 1939. Obviously, a huge movie. <laughs> a huge, huge movie. Uh, one that 
one that's just kind of daunting to do on this show. You know, I just know it's going to be a big old three hour fucking what the hell best picture showdown. You know, it's going to be very hard to wrap my head around doing that episode. So I'm, I, 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 we've held, we've held off <laughs> for, for a long time, but it, it, it may be time uh, sooner than later. Uh, 1940, Rebecca, best, best special effects nominated. 1942, The Pride of the Yankees, Best Special Effects, nominated. Uh, Since You Went Away, 1944, Best Special Effects, nominated, and then Spellbound. I mean, good Lord, you know, these are movies that we've we've brought up The Pride of the Yankees when we did Citizen Kane. Uh, really cool movie. And then, uh, you know, Rebecca, obviously we've talked about today, and Spellbound, Gone with the Wind. Jesus Christ, who would have thought... <laughs> Who would have thought that back-to-back years you'd have the same special effects, you know, guy in the, the guy in the big chair for special effects is working on back-to-back best picture winners, Gone with the Wind and, and Rebecca. <laughs> Two polar opposite <laughs> movies. Really crazy. Maybe I'm misunderstanding the nature of special effects in the 40s, but what exactly did he do in Pride of the Yankees? I don't, that's the one movie where I was like, huh, like, because it's, it's obvious in Spellbound, there's some stuff going yeah. on, you know, there's kind of some advanced stuff. And then there's one scene that's laughable uh, when they're, when they're skiing in the background, it's like, oh God, look at this. This is, <laughs> this is pretty bad. But, uh, but then there's, there's stuff later on in the film and the dream sequence. That's really cool. True. But prior to the Yankees, I mean, you've got, it's a pretty straightforward biopic of Lou Gehrig. You've got Babe Ruth playing himself, so maybe that's the special effect. Yeah, is there something we, we're missing? Yeah, like... I don't know. Are we just... Is there something we forgot? Is there a scene that used special effects? I don't know. Because it, it, these movies, you know, obviously in comparison to what's up for best special effects today, is just it's just totally different. It's a totally different category now. Uh, and the movies that are in that category are fucking intense, you know? <laughs> it's like that like they, they literally can't exist without that, that operating. So uh, I, I love looking at this stuff and kind of thinking about something like the pride of the Yankees. What, how did, how was this, a, how was that even up for debate <laughs> within this category? Great movie. Great movie. Love it. But I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. make much sense. I'm starting to think there was like a dream sequence that I've just forgotten about or something has to be. Yeah. You would, you would think, right. Like we just like there's a dream sequence in spellbound. Maybe there's one in part of the Yankees with Lou Gehrig. I don't know. Maybe we just, maybe we're, maybe we, yeah, maybe we fell asleep during that part. I don't know. I, I liked that movie though. Yeah. I enjoyed that movie very much. I don't think I fell asleep. <laughs> I thought it was really good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, last, last guy here. Talking about three movies we just talked about. All these people working on the same thing. Uh, Hal C. Kern. He's the uh, editor, the official film editor for Spellbound. Also one for best film editing, Gone with the Wind, 1939. Was nominated in 1940 for Rebecca. (laughs) And then was uh, nominated again in 1944 for Since You Went Away. So these are movies that just kind of kept coming up during this discussion with all these people that are working behind the camera, maybe they're, maybe they're out having, you know, coffee and cigarettes, you know, on a daily basis, just kind of talking and chatting. And this, this is their life. It's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. You packed up, you know, you, 
you edited Gone to the Wind, and then in the next booth, you're editing Rebecca, and you don't even know the impact you're having on culture with the with these films. Like at the time, I doubt like the film editor he's got a cigarette in one hand, you know, glass of whiskey in the other, just editing this thing in like a soundproof booth and just you know, cut, print, check the gate. All right, moving on. Like, do you think they knew at the time? I don't think they did. I think to them, you no. know, editing like probably nine different movies a day. Yeah. I'm surprised there weren't many like splice problems where like, you know, halfway through Gone with the Wind, fucking King Kong starts or something. <laughs> oh, boy. oh my God. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, they're just working off the same fucking 10 lots in Hollywood, you know. It's I gotta crazy. say, I gotta say, I miss the impeccable poster designs that we had in the 20th century. What happened to like the artistry of designing a movie poster? It seems pretty by the numbers these days, but back then it was an elaborate painting. And oh, I miss that. I'm looking at them right now, like these are gorgeous works of art. Yeah, no, it's it, it honestly is that's a big deal to me as well, I think. I think there, you know, obviously it was a time when movie trailers were just kind of non-existent and they were kind of like really weird and kind of a joke. <laughs> yeah. Like the, the, the Eris trailer is hilarious. It's absolutely hilarious. It's like, here are the stars, Olivia de Havilland, you know, <laughs> and it's just hilarious. Montgomery Clift, you know, they just kind of, that, it's like, it's a basketball game. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> uh, and obviously trailers have changed over time to this whole different beast and they can be super effective. Same with posters where you can really kind of align that with, with your experience with the film. You know, uh, I think there have been some effective ones, but it's so rare. It's so rare these days that you get a poster that's just to die for. You know, I think uh, my favorite one that I own is the hereditary, the hereditary poster uh, of Tony Collette and uh Charlie's right below her, you know, kind of like doing a, you know, weird little thing. And it just has hereditary right in the middle with the white lettering. It's just an epic poster that I, I immediately go to the place I want to go to when I look at the poster. I think, I think Rebecca is, has a fucking cool ass poster. I think that's one that stuck out to me when we've been looking at these kind of looking at these films, the Rebecca 1940 poster is, is awesome. It's something I've, I've always wanted to own. Uh, the North by Northwest poster, 1959, really cool. Really up until I think like the 2000s, yeah. the late 90s, 2000s, people just started like running out of ideas, I guess. I don't know. Uh, the originality is, is lacking, but it can, be, it, it can be such an important little kind of piece to, to kind of put with the film. I, I love that you kind of care about that too. I feel like as trailers got better, posters got worse. Yeah. Which I wonder yeah. if I wonder if there's something some reason behind that because I very much movie posters are an art form. It's like all I've got my art in my house are is movie posters. Yeah, yeah. And like my personal favorite, I've got it's a pretty basic one, but it's Venom from 2018. Yeah, and it's the teaser poster where it's just two giant eye slits. That's it, and a sea of black. And like anybody who knows who Venom is knows that's that's fucking Venom right there. Yeah, that's cool. And it's just, yeah, a little shit like that. So it, it, they still do. You get the occasional cool poster, but most of the time, it's at least for mainstream films, it's the hero with his back to the poster, looking out at something, 
or it's, you know, biggest name star in the middle and all the little stars around him. And then like yep. an explosion in the title and some tagline they made up in five seconds. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely the go-to these days. It's like, let's use our cast. Let's kind of place them around the, the, the smaller character they are, the smaller they are on the poster, you know? <laughs> and I, I blame star Wars for that specific poster design. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it became a snowball effect. Then every superhero movie was like, let's just fucking do that. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Which is why, also, I'll shout out uh, a movie I'm not in love with, but I think has one of my favorite posters of all time from, yeah, just straight up all time. Now, I was going to spend the past decade, but of all time, is the Dark Knight Rises one where Bane is just holding the mask. He's just holding the, the Batman mask, and all you see is, you know, Rises. <laughs> it's and it's fucking Tom Hardy's Bane just in the shadows kind of holding the, you know, like he just fucking squashed Batman. And that was a really cool poster uh, that I remember seeing kind of all over the place, uh, like in dorm rooms, shit like that. You know, uh, that, that one's really cool. A, a recent one that I like a lot. Uh, yeah, it can like it can it can be even more impactful than the film itself. I love that we're talking about movie posters. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like it's, you know, a lot of people don't like a lot of people just kind of write off posters and trailers. But I go back to them. I go back to posters. I watched. I watch mo- old movie trailers all the time. That's an art form to me. Like one of my all-time favorite trailers is Avengers Age of Ultron. Mm. Uh, frankly, I don't think the movie delivered that. Well, I liked it, but it was not what that trailer promised. But the trailer is so creepy. It looks like just pain, agony, and darkness is coming with Ultron. And it's so cool. And I just, I love when a trailer can just kind of mesmerize me. Uh yeah, just wanted to shout that out. Yeah, I love, I, I, yeah. I mean, we wouldn't have all these podcasts. We didn't care about everything surrounding a film, even the trailer, the poster, just kind of lead the anticipation leading up to it. And yeah. then the, and then the afterlife after it's happened, you know, and then owning something that represents it, you feel like it represents you as well. You're like, I chose this because this is, this is my shit, you know? So yeah, and I'm with you, man. Uh, the posters that I have that I that I keep, the ones that I want to put up on my wall, are yeah, are, those are super special movies to me. You know, super special pieces pieces of me. You know, art art that I consider stuff that I kind of need to survive to kind of cope with everything going on. So yeah, fuck yeah, man. <laughs> I think it's super important. All those things matter. Uh, I could that'd be it'd be it'd be a lot of fun to just kind of solely focus on movie posters for like an hour on, on one of our episodes and just maybe do some research and figure out what our like favorite 20 movie posters are. That'd be so much fun. That would be a blast. <laughs> I would enjoy that. Take movie kind of away from it and just talk about the, the artwork and what we like about it, what it kind of represents for us. Love it, man. It's really cool. Um, and that's, you know, that's a, a, a segue I didn't know was going to happen to get into uh to get into the 18th Academy Awards. Uh, this is, of course, where Spellbound <clears throat> competed. Won just one Oscar, but had, had more nominations than I kind of expected when we first decided to do this movie. I was like, oh, it actually kind of racked up quite a few overall. And we've obviously talked about almost all of them uh, right here. The one that we haven't brought up at all, and that's because this is the, the, sole, the only nomination this guy got, 
It's Michael Chekhov. Michael Chekhov, who's who's pretty. He's you like him in this movie, right? He's pretty oh. good. He's Doctor Bruloff, the misogynist, right? Well, I, I know you don't like his character, but he's the pretty. Good. It's pretty. Yeah, yeah. It's his, it's his only nomination ever for best actor supporting role. Oh yeah, he's a piece of shit. Yeah, yeah. Total, total, total piece of shit. Like just kind of evil, classic supporting actor type type nomination to me. These have these have happened forever. These these will continue to happen when someone plays a certain type of evil. Uh, with like an elegance, with a professionalism, it just kind of gets the Academy just every time. Yeah, I agree. But weirdly in 40, 45, I don't, I feel like this guy wasn't seen as evil. He was seen as more as like the comic relief, which is even sicker. That is, that is a lot sicker. That's probably, you're probably right. That That is disgusting. But uh, <laughs> I mean, if, if you want to be honest about it, you know, that's, that's probably what was going on. Uh, he, he lost to James Dunn. A tree, a tree grows in Brooklyn. Uh, also nominated was J. Carol Nash, J. Carol Nash for a medal for Benny, Robert Mitchum for the story of G.I. Joe, Jesus, <laughs> and John, and yeah, good lord, and John Dahl for the corn is green. That is a, I haven't seen any of those. <laughs> that is a terrible film title. No one now is ever going to watch a movie called The Corn Is Green. But then Robert Mitchum in the fucking the, the story. I know it's not G.I. Joe as we know it, but still, it's like, what? It's fucking G.I. Joe? <laughs> that's cool. I, didn't, oh I wasn't God. aware Robert Mitchum had any nominations, so that's cool. Same. Yeah, yeah, that kind of just took me as by surprise right there. The Corn is Green uh, stars Betty Davis. So maybe we will have to watch it just kind of one day. <laughs> you never know. I have a feeling I've made fun of this movie before. Have we been to this Oscars before? Um, I don't think so. Hmm. I, yeah, I don't think we've done 1945. Let's see. We did 1944 with Gaslight. We did 1947 on this, you know, with Monster of Verdue. Uh, uh, we did 1940 with Great Dictator. Uh, what else have we done? Uh, Citizen Kane, 1941. Uh, yeah no we haven't been here before i wonder why i've heard of the corn is green before i don't know i'm having the weirdest deja vu anyway (laughs) i love that it's kind of like you're in spellbound yeah (laughs) i don't know my name and i might have killed a doctor (laughs) yeah 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 (laughs) jesus there's so much there um spellbound quite possibly its greatest feat is winning winning the, the win that it got for best score. Do you see how many movies? This is it's ridiculous. Like, 40 movies. like this isn't even a contest at this point. This is just like if everybody is nominated, it's not special. But then the yeah, I mean, how do you pick one out of literally 40 scores? And that's just that's just scoring of a dramatic or comedy picture. You also have scoring of a musical picture over here, which also has like 20. So basically every movie that came out in 1945, here you go. You know, your music was good enough to get something. <laughs> Best scoring of a dramatic or comedy picture has 21 nominees. 21. Uh, Best scoring of a musical picture has 12. Jesus. 12. Yeah. What the fuck? This is, like 
how do you get that far? And look at the best original song. I mean, what the hell? They were just giving it away. There's no, I mean, can you imagine if we still did it like this? No, I would hate that. I hate the tighter, the better. Always the tighter, the better, the more exclusive it is, the better to me. Um, like, there's nothing- I don't mean that. I, I don't, I don't mean exclusive in the way of like, Oh, this is a club and it has to be, you have to be this kind of movie. I mean, exclusive in let's choose the five best. Let's choose the five best in every single thing we do. That's just how I think it's the best, you know, that will be the best show and the best kind of uh, competition. I agree. There's nothing best about 20 <laughs> nominations. It's just, you know, scores. There's no best here. This is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. If you win, cool. But like just being love letters nominated for Victor Young, like who gives a shit? You were nominated out of 21 other, you know, or 20 other movies and you didn't win. So if you didn't win, then like no one cares, you know? <laughs> well, look, there's fucking overlap. Miklas Rosa is in here three times. Three. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Victor Young's in there a couple times. Werner Janssen's in there like four times. I mean, yeah, come on. Like, what is this? <laughs> Pick pick one for each guy, please. God, they. I love going back to these early Oscars when they were still kind of figuring it out, and just like so many people purchased like fucking nomination tickets or something. Like you know, give Louis B. Mayer three hundred dollars and he'll give you an Oscar nomination. Yeah, yeah, it's Ugh. it's ridiculous. The, the these looking back at these is just it's just comical. If you if you think the way that we do, <laughs> and you like really love movies and kind of pay attention to the modern the modern Oscars, it's just comical. It's just fucking funny thinking about thinking about you know uh, if it, inside one year Ennio Morricone was nominated four times, you know <laughs> what? Inside the same category, what what is this? Like, <laughs> and there's twenty other dudes. It's just crazy. It, it, you know, it obviously wouldn't fly today because it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is this is ridiculous. Uh, but it won. It did win. Score. Nicholas Rosa, who had, I guess, the best odds of making it out of that 21. Yeah, he had a one, seven, one, one in seven chance of making that happen. <laughs> God. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that's... Uh, and then... It, Cinematography, director, supporting actor, best picture, special effects. Uh, yeah. Billy Wilder beat Hitchcock for best director the last weekend, which I did buy because it's a winner and I want to see it. Yeah. And then uh, throw Jean Renoir uh, in there for the Southerner. You got three huge people and Leo McCary too. Uh, massive, massive directors. This is a cool group right here. The only one I don't, Clarence Brown, I feel like I've seen that name, but I don't know exactly what from. God, he has a bare bones Wikipedia entry. Clarence Leon Brown was an American film director. <laughs> wow, no shit. <laughs> <laughs> My God. Yeah, the, the other guys is like a full paragraph. Yeah. Uh, Billy Wilder, you know, goes on. It says one of the most brilliant and versatile filmmakers for classic Hollywood. <laughs> Hitchcock. <And then> Clarence, <laughs> Clarence. One of the most Brown. influential and widely studied filmmakers in the history of cinema, known as the master of suspense. Leo McCary, most well-known, like involved in nearly 200 movies. And Clarence Brown was there too. 
I feel bad for this guy. Yeah. Not to disparage his career. It's just I feel like Wikipedia is not really trying here. <laughs> yeah, there's there's nothing nothing we can do about it when Wikipedia is just simply saying he made movies. <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm aware of Christ. that. Tell me what. Tell me what movies. <laughs> <laughs> give me give me a, an idea of where we're going. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so funny. Uh yeah, of of these these movies that are up for best picture so you know it's the last week in the winter uh anchors away uh the bells of saint mary's <clears throat> mildred pierce and spellbound so spellbound's the only one you've seen yes and I've, I've just seen that one in the bells of saint mary's so anchors away first off awesome name <laughs> <laughs> awesome name for a movie stars frank sinatra so you know this is immediately kind of interesting gene kelly's in it as well uh, Catherine Grayson. So I, I, I would see this movie just from, I mean, look how goofy the po- poster is for this one. I, <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. I love the posters of this time, especially the, the silly ones like this, where he's, yeah, I, Frank Sinatra, his stature as just a person, as, a, as a, obviously a musician. And then seeing him on the cover <laughs> of this movie, Anchors Away. <laughs> It's really, it's a really fun little tidbit of pop culture. <laughs> well, Anchors Away, I believe, is the movie where Gene Kelly dances with Jerry the Mouse from mm. Tom and Jerry. So I have a feeling this movie is not taking itself that seriously. I don't. I don't no, uh, no, definitely not. It's weird that it's here. Like I always thought that was kind of a goofy film that wasn't very well received. Maybe I heard wrong. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, I, I, I think that one is the lost one out of the bunch. You know, Mildred Pierce is a like film noir. You know, with Joan Crawford, directed by Michael Curtis. Yeah, it's from what I've heard, very serious. Definitely a movie I, I, I want to check out. It's actually the one I want to see the most out of this group, even over the last weekend, which I, I would love to see because it's a winner. But I, I, I gotta see, gotta see Mildred Pierce. Yeah, I've heard very good things about Mildred Pierce. Uh, I've heard a lot of insane stories about Joan Crawford, and I yes. really want to dig into her as in her work. I want to see like, did she have the talent to back up this psychotic personality? Uh, yeah, yeah. You you always want to kind of see. Well, okay, everybody says they're a dick. You know, this person sucks, but I still want to see is the work worth kind of going through. <laughs> Unlike most like actors. Joan Crawford has an entire movie about how much of a dick she was. Like, just a crazy bitch. It's called Mommy Dearest with Faye Dunaway. And there's a whole bit where she's, like, beating the shit out of her daughter over wire hangers. It's become famous. So I want to know, like, how accurate is that? Yeah, yeah. Definitely want to check that one. Yeah. Personally, I really want to see The Lost Weekend. I, I bought it in uh, a half-price books at Round Rock that I did, discovered. It was, like, you know, hidden in a like a little mall and I didn't know. So I was like, well, well, and I bought a whole bunch of classics, but uh, the lost weekend is when I want to watch uh, Rayma land one for this. I would like to see why. And of course, Billy Wilder and Jane Wyman, I adore. So definitely. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait to one day do, you know, a best picture, best picture showdown on, on these movies. We'll bring spellbound back up. You'll be able to see Ingrid Bergman. It's better work. And the Bells of St. Mary's uh, and watch Anchors Away. 
<laughs> and uh, of course, Mildred Pearson last weekend. So yeah, that'll be a lot of fun one day. Uh, 18th Academy Awards. It's, it's come a long way. Uh, it, I, I expect it to just be vastly different. I, I, you know, we're, we're in the 90s now for Academy Awards. This We're talking about 18, 18th. So I would think 80 years from now, it'd be a lot different too, you know, uh, as we, as we get further and further into just what's going on in the film culture. So hopefully, hopefully the show, uh, the ceremony doesn't ever go back to 21, uh, nominations inside one category. Uh, I think we're good, but I I hope it never happens again. (laughs) The, um, if this was televised, I feel like reading off the nominations would be like that scene in the dark night when the entire mob is arrested (laughs) <laughs> and they're just like pleading in the courtroom and it's the whole damn court. Like that's what it would be like. Like no one would understand what the hell's going on. No one would think it's special. Participation. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you if you made a movie, you're probably gonna be there, regardless of quality. Yeah, you made a movie? You made a movie? Here you go. Here you go. Yeah, I I don't like uh the participation aspect of anything. Uh I like participating in, in real life, like being, being, being present. But when you just are handing things out, giving nominations out, like it's nothing. Yeah. I like, I like five We're up here with the, these big time categories, you know, best actor, uh, Cornell Wilde, Gregory Peck, Gene Kelly, Bing Crosby, Ray Milland. That that's, that's what I'm talking about. Those five people, then you have a good competition, good conversation, good debate. And that's kind of what it's all about, you know? Yeah. Otherwise, you might as well turn the Oscar into a blue ribbon and a free pencil. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's, it, it, the, the gold has to mean something. <laughs> yeah. Even if it's, you know, even if it's all, all, all silly and, and games, it still has to mean something because we, we, we want it to be more intense. Uh, now, for our awards... Uh, if you've been with us before, you know, you know what we're doing. You know, we got our four major awards. We got the Quentin Tarantino for best quote of the movie. We got the Ennio Morricone for the best music moment of the movie, which is hard to choose from Miklos Rosa's uh, awesome score. Uh, then we have the Philip Seymour Hoffman award for best performance of the movie. And we have the Roger Deakins award for best scene of the movie. So, uh, I think I had an easier time choosing these than you did. <laughs> it happens. Uh, you know, it, it does happen. I've had a lot of fun on this episode, regardless, talking about Hitchcock, talking about Ingrid Gregory Peck, George Barnes, the cinematographer, Jack Cosgrove, the special effects director of this of Spellbound. I, uh, I, I always have fun on this show, and it's, it's equally fun to see, to, to, to be someone who's picking uh, um, awards for a movie that is kind of tough. And it's also fun to witness somebody <laughs> pick, pick awards for a movie that's tough because it, it happens. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And I was able to get something out of this. So it wasn't a complete and total loss. That, that hasn't happened yet. That's good. That's good. Well, well, I, I know the screenplay is probably your, your biggest issue, right? Yeah. Yeah. Is that, is that probably correct? Just the, 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 the bones of the story. Uh, so the, the Tarantino is kind of, you know, that's what it's all about. Is finding a line you like. So what'd you get? I have one line early on in the film from Dr. Peterson. And it's during the scene where her and um, she and what's, I guess, quote unquote, Dr. Edwards are frolicking on the beach or something, or like in a dreamscape or whatever the fuck, they're just kind of walking around in some 
area that's hard to just like ascertain, but <laughs> they're, they're talking about the nature of love. And Dr. Peterson says, the point is that people read about love as one thing and experience it as another. They expect kisses to be like lyrical poems and embraces to be like Shakespearean dramas. And I like that because not a lot of films of this time were kind of pushing back on love. You know, it was, you had a male star, you had a female star, they're going to fall in love by the end of the movie. You just know that. And yes, it happens here too. But you can see Hitchcock kind of poking at that a little bit, being like, you know, hey, love sometimes is hard to comprehend. It's not beautiful all the time. There's rough patches. You got to acknowledge that. And I like that Hitchcock went there with that. You know, we all think about love as this beautiful thing. And yeah, it is beautiful at times, but it also fucking hurts. And those are the, the trying moments. And we see a lot of those trying moments in Spellbound. There are moments where, you know, she's having to give up everything for this guy. And frankly, he's not really holding up his end, but you know, that's not what we're talking about. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely not. Definitely not holding up his end. Uh, I think Constance Peterson is putting forth so much effort throughout this movie. And about 50% of the time gets it back. Uh, Well, most of the time he's angry, like, damn you woman. I don't want to think about that. Just like you, a woman to make me think about that. Like he has these random misogynistic (laughs) bursts of anger that just don't make sense. And she's still Uh, like, well, but he's Gregory Peck. Like I got to I got to see this through to the end. (laughs) The reward (laughs) is worth the risk. Damn it. (laughs) And she's like looking at the, the audience. You do the same. (laughs) <laughs> I wish, I, I oh, wish to God this had been that kind of movie where she's just like like a Deadpool kind of situation and she's like, don't you see? Fourth what, wall. Yeah. Look what's gonna, like, it's worth it. You know it's worth it. <laughs> That's oh, fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I love that. <laughs> I, 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 remember, I remember that line happening and I remember just kind of thinking that it was, it was a, it was a well thought out sentence. Whoever wrote this down, Ben Hecht, this is something that really means something. It's not just getting point A to point B in the easiest way. It's like really trying to say something about the philosophy of like you're talking about of love and what does it really mean? And in this movie, it isn't necessarily like this super happy ending, you know, (laughs) you know, it's, it's got, it's got its bumps for sure. uh, Bumps in the road and still uncertainty. Um, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Heck Yeah. (laughs) Ben Hector would be so proud. Uh, I also chose a, a bit of dialogue. You know, it's, it's a lot of Ingrid Bergman and Gregory Peck in this movie. And so I chose a bit of dialogue between them too. Very simple. Also, this, this bit kind of just made me think about movies at, at a larger, larger scale. Uh, Constance Peterson, Ingrid Bergman says, all analysts have to be psychoanalyzed by other analysts before they start practicing. And then Gregory Peck responds, ah, that's to make sure they're not all too crazy. You know, and well, it's really simple and it's a line that can just kind of pass you by and it feels like it's in movies all the time now. I think that it is in this movie and that there are seemingly lines like this in every Hitchcock movie where it kind of just just explains what's happening. Like, oh, you can't be sure. Sure, because everybody's crazy, you know, or something that's just kind of almost vague, but kind of wraps up everything. 
I love when a screenplay can do that, when a screenplay can tell you what's going on in the middle of the movie, at the end of the movie, beginning of the movie. Uh, it uses it uses a Shakespeare fucking quote as the like title card at the beginning of the movie. I like those little touches when when a film is kind of giving you its philosophy while showing it to you, um, not force feeding you, not simplifying it too much, not treating you like an idiot, but definitely letting you know that the you know the the art of suspense is is at play, and I I, I love when Hitchcock movies do that. It's one of my one of my favorite things about. Hitchcock choosing his screenplays and choosing his stories. It, it seems like there's always going to be an element of, of thriller in there, you know, and you, you get it certainly with these two characters. Yeah. You don't get called the master of suspense by slacking off. Like, yeah. No, <laughs> not, not just choosing wishy-washy stupid stories. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah. I'd like your line kind of a little tongue in cheek. Cause he's, you know, he's knucking futz. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he, he's saying, you know, when he's, he says that's to make sure they're, that they're not too crazy. He could say that they're crazy, but too crazy, almost like we're all crazy. Just making sure they're not too crazy. <laughs> he's an amnesiac who might've murdered somebody and she is giving up her entire life for this dude she just met. So yeah. who's crazier here? <laughs> Truly. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's exactly right. Like you're both insane. Everyone in this movie is insane. <laughs> yeah. The sanest guy is the murderer. Who's like, yeah, that makes sense. Some guy tried to steal my job. I'd probably push him off a cliff too. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's not crazy. He's just like opportunistic. Like, yeah, I saw it. I took it and here I am with a job. <laughs> so what are you gonna do about it? <laughs> that's a whole other movie. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that's so good. The Ennio Morricone Award, best music moment I've spoken about. This is easily the hardest one to choose for me. I love this score. It's my favorite part of the movie. So uh, what, what, what did you connect with uh, from the score? I picked a moment that tricked me into thinking that this was about to go off and it didn't. I was like, what? Why would you? Anyway, um, <laughs> It's, a, it's the moment where Dr. Peterson realizes that Edward's signature does not match the mm. book and the music mm. kind of blah, 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 has this like, oh shit. I'm like, oh, we're in a horror movie now, but we weren't. And I was like, damn it. <laughs> like it tricked me into thinking like, oh, this is about to become something completely different. But she was really more just like, oh, that's interesting. And, but I thought that that moment was signified by the score very well and led you into an area that, I guess we didn't, I didn't expect to be, but also not where I thought I was going to be. Still, it was a good moment in the score. For sure. It's, I, I, I believe I've been listening to this score like all day. It's got 21 songs. Uh, I believe that one's called, called Constance's Discovery. I'm Probably. pretty sure. I was, yeah, I was listening to it today. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the one. And oh man, super powerful, super powerful stuff. I, I thought about I thought about that exact moment. I, I love when handwriting is used in a movie. That's such a cool fucking kind of object to use, you know, letter, paper, pen, using these kind of everyday objects to kind of notice something that's huge for a film, huge for a story. I love when that happens. Really cool. Uh, this was this was a, a toss-up to me. I, I again I was listening to it all day. There's the music when they're skiing is amazing. 
that particular scene I don't love because the just some of the editing is is obviously very dated. <laughs> uh, but but my favorite of these is uh, the burned hand. That's of course when he burns his hand in the movie, and that particular piece of the score very short but extremely effective and take it or leave it it reminded me exactly of the moment i first saw that famous scene in fight club with brad pitt you know with this when he's doing doing the burn on edward norton i I thought of that immediately and watching gregory peck like freak out i thought of that and then i was listening to this crazy huge massive piece piece of music that's just kind of blasting uh super eerie you know kind of droning at times this score kind of zones in and out to kind of makes you make you feel uneasy mm-hmm. obviously a, a obviously a hitchcock you know kind of trademark is is that that exact feeling and the music is a huge part of it you know uh these guys that <clears throat> we look at as icons of suspense someone like hitchcock you you really have to figure out well, if he wasn't the one making all the music, who was? Yeah, because that has a that has a huge hand in how we feel about these movies and what happens in these movies. And when music is put with it this way, when it's this perfect, uh, it's one of the most rewarding things as a viewing member uh, to just kind of kind of immerse yourself into it. So I was very very grateful for this score. It's one I won't forget. Uh, I'll admit. I think I overlooked some of the stuff in the movie because of how good the score is. Uh, it, that happened. That happens to me a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. I, I, you know, I wish I could do that. I wish I could be distracted by something else that's so great that I completely ignore the massive fucked up screenplay. <laughs> I, I wish I could do that, but I can't. <laughs> it's a gift and a curse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man, I I have a feeling we're going to be in the same place. <clears throat> With the Philip Seymour. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I don't know who you chose because it seemed like you didn't like it. <laughs> for, for me, for for me, it's uh, it's for sure uh, Ingrid Bergman. She she she's awesome. She just, she has a star power. Again, she has a swagger, uh, a way about carrying herself that I, I can't. It's intoxicating. I can't look away. I too went Ingrid, uh, mostly because I just. Gregory Peck is a good actor, but he does not have range. He's very much just like, I am Gregory Peck, and I'm here to act well for you. My hands in my pockets. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to have random outbursts of anger for no reason at all, and I'm afraid of the color white. Yes. (laughs) Anyway. uh, Yeah, I had to go with Ingrid. She's the only one really holding this up. And I, I don't like the character. I don't like the decisions she makes. But there's moments like in my uh, Deacons that show the kind of the ghost of a better movie. Mm. And I always think those moments are bittersweet when I see like, oh, this is what we could have could have had. And yeah, it's definitely one of those moments that put her in this category for me. Hell yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think when I heard you talking about the movie at first and just how you reacted to it, I figured, Oh man, I don't think we've ever had a time where the, the PSH was hard to figure out who to give it to, but I I'm with you on Gregory Peck, like not really competing for it. Cause I just, I think he's fine in this movie. I don't think he's, 
don't think he's great or anything. But Ingrid, yeah, she she has a way. She has something in her that I, I I'm kind of down to watch anything she does, anything she's been in, whether she's playing a nun or a doctor or you know, it doesn't really matter. Uh, she she's fantastic. So this award, while maybe a little bit biased, uh, I don't think she has a tremendous amount of competition. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Which which brings us to the Deacons, the Roger Deacons Award, the most fun award to give out because you get to talk about your favorite part of the movie. Uh, sometimes it's much more difficult to pick out. For, for me, this this scene stuck out like a sore thumb. Uh, and when the movie ended, I wanted to rewind and watch it again. So I did. So I know exactly where I'm going. Uh, but I'm curious about your your deacons here. Uh, I'm not going to lie. The whole movie, I was like, I, am I going to have one? <laughs> and um, eventually I did. And it is the scene. Um, it's a moment in the scene where Constance realizes that Dr. Murchison has committed the murder. And instead of going to the proper authorities, she goes to him and decides to just say like, I know that you killed someone. So what are we going to do about it? Which was just, a, she's a doctor. She's smarter than that. But <laughs> <laughs> there's a moment where he's like, well, I could just kill you and go have, you know, go, go do something else. Cause he's very cold about all this. And she starts talking about how like, you could kill me, but then, you know, you're going to hang. And you really want that on your conscience. And the way she's talking to him, like she's talking directly to the camera. And it's just, it's a very powerful bit of performance in what I figured, uh, what I pretty much thought was a lukewarm performance. But in that one moment, Ingrid turns it up. And I believe that she is like pretty much psychoanalyzing him for her own life. And it works. She talks him into shooting himself in the head, which was yeah. like, oh, shit, that was a big turnaround. Damn. Um, I could have also gone with the scene where we just randomly see a child impaled on a fence. <laughs> but, um, dude, holy shit. The fuck was that? <laughs> that? That blew me away. We just saw all of that right next to that little stoop. Just bam. I was like, whoa. Yeah. Look at me. <laughs> what the fuck? But yeah, good God. <laughs> I went with the, yeah, Bergman talking her way out of, out of murder. I thought that was like, oh, okay. So you could have tried harder. You just were like, this is schlock. I'm just going to work through this. <laughs> That's what I think happened. I think she got the script. It was like, uh, I need the money till Anastasia. So let's do this. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm being too hard on it, but mm. oh, that, that was great. <laughs> Anastasia. Oh, man. Uh, I I know I know exactly what you're talking about. I know that moment when she kind of looks at the camera. She definitely, like you said, turns it up a notch. Kind of goes into second gear and yeah. is kind of you know, fucking overdrive. Uh, the scene I chose, what I mentioned at the, I think at the beginning when I didn't know if Salvador Dali's like artwork was going to be involved in the movie until I kind of started reading about it right, right when I started it. I was like, Oh fuck. When is that coming? You know, like, and it was obvious You know, <laughs> when it came, when it came time to kind of see the dream sequence and see Gregory Peck explaining the dream, uh, like what's happening in the dream. It, it is fucking awesome. It's kind of, kind of like a dream world uh, for, for me. So seeing it on the screen from this particular character, 
was really cool. It's like all this fucking gambling going on. You know, there's these giant cards that are look like they can kill you and these huge big old eyes everywhere. It was a place that I, I would love to go. And <laughs> occasionally, occasionally a movie will do something that makes me feel like a child. Uh, as, uh, but as an adult, watching a very adult movie, uh, like something like Spellbound, it, it, and just to give uh, maybe reference or maybe more understanding is like when I watch Fear and Loathing Las Vegas or I watch Brazil 1985, there's this feeling of just imagination and ideas and creativity just oozing out of it, out of the set, out of the production design, you know, out of just, just the, mo- the, the movie, the way it looks, the way it carries itself. And for this bit of Spellbound, I was like in movie heaven. You know, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And that's exactly why we watch movies, right? Because you're, you're watching something, you're seeing it. And you want to be pleased by what you're seeing. You want to be challenged by what you're seeing. You want to be, you know, enthralled, excited. And this, this scene kind of did all of that and solidified the movie as, okay, I, I think I might watch this again because that moment is so fucking awesome. And I, I love dream sequences in movies anyway. You know, I'm a big David Lynch fan. So. <laughs> so with that, you know, thinking about, oh my God, maybe when David Lynch was, you know, younger, maybe he watched Spellbound and was like, whoa, you know, I want to do something like that. So I'm going to make Twin Peaks. <laughs> uh, you know, or I'm going to do Mulholland Drive. You know, I'm going to do, I'm going to kind of mess with the stream of consciousness, consciousness thing. And I, I fell in love with that, that part of Spellbound. And that's, kind of what gives it an eight to me. Uh, there's definitely parts of it that lack part of the parts of the story that are just downright, you know, silly and don't make sense. But I do love what Ingrid's doing. I love the music and I love the way this movie looks, the way it carries itself. So I, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm glad we had this episode. We we're, we were due for, for one that kind of split us down the middle. Uh, it's been a while. Yeah. I think we occasionally, you know, we do need one that reminds audiences that we aren't joined at the hip. Yeah. Yeah, we do. We do have key, key fundamental differences as, as movie fans. Uh, we've always, we figured out pretty quickly that I look for atmosphere. Uh, most of the time you're looking usually for story, you know, what's the bones, the meat of the story. And of course we both love both, you know, you want both things to be hitting, uh, but, you know, for, for, for me, the story, it's easier for me to look past a kind of weak, weak story to, to, to get this kind of atmosphere. And for you, I think it's vice versa. So, uh, I, yeah, I, I, I like this movie. I hope, I hope people try to check it out on YouTube, you know, uh, kind of see for yourself. Uh, it's not a super, super highly regarded Hitchcock, but it is an Oscar nominated Hitchcock. It's nice to knock that out of there, you know. Now we're one step closer. <laughs> yeah, true. At the very least, you know, I've crossed the Hitchcock off my list and I've crossed a uh, Best Picture nominee off my list. So Yeah, and, and Ingrid Bergman, see, you get to see more. You have more. Yeah, it's always nice to have more stuff uh, in the back of your head. Next week, I'm hoping to add something I truly, truly, you know, am going to love. I hope I love this movie. I'm super excited to finally see it and revisit a guy that, just fucking gets me excited for talking about movies. And that's, that's Mr. James Cagney. He won his Oscar for Yankee Doodle Dandy. So come on back next week as we do Yankee Doodle Dandy from 1942, a movie that won three Oscars 
best music, best sound, and best actor in a lead role, James Cagney. And was also nominated for best picture, best actor in a supporting role, Walter fucking Houston, best director, Michael Curtis, best original screenplay, Robert Buckner, and best film editing, George Amy. So come on back next week. We're going to be going to be doing a lot of really fun things. We're going to do something with the best actor category. We're going to do something fun with that. We're going to talk about Yankee Duel Dandy, James Cagney, and the whole bit. Uh, I cannot wait. Uh, it's going to be going to be loads of fun. So come back for episode 64. And then after that, we'll have a best picture showdown for you guys. Many people forget, you know, Jimmy Cagney, we, we got introduced to him with um, Angels with Dirty Faces. And then we watched White Heat as well. Uh, great movie. But many people forget White, yeah. Cagney did gangster films to pay the bills at his heart. His true love was song and dance. He was a song and dance man. So Yankee Doodle Dandy was him pouring everything he had into a performance that he wanted to be proud of. So I'm excited to dig into this film and into him again. And I had no idea Walter fucking Houston was in this. So there's another bonus. Yeah, um, yeah dude. <laughs> that's going to be fun. Um, next week on, this week on Filmgasm, uh, big old 150th Texas Chainsaw <laughs> Massacre 2 with the whole team special extravaganza. So excited. Uh, tune in Wednesday for that. And uh, sneak preview, we're going to be going over Don't Breathe 2, as well as Respect and Free Guy and whatever Netflix is puking out this week. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that, that'll be tomorrow. I'm excited to talk about Don't Breathe 2 tomorrow. Uh, definitely, definitely a disappointer, that's for sure. Uh, didn't live up to the first one for me. I'm a big fan of that first one. So, yeah, that'll be fun to talk about tomorrow. And I cannot wait for episode 150 dude it's gonna be great dude for me like the entire week was just weak fucking movies i <laughs> spellbound don't breathe too and then fucking texas chainsaw too <laughs> like, oh jesus what the yeah. hell give me a win <laughs> yeah episode 150 though that'll be fun no matter what i have good i'm very much looking forward to that just reminiscing about 150 episodes get to do an episode with all you guys for the first time that's gonna be so much fun yeah it'll be special yeah so great uh yeah check out spellbound on youtube if you want to see it for yourself uh didn't do it for me but you know i think the batting average here is pretty good for me i've liked pretty much 90 percent of the films we've done there's only been a few films right oh yeah no we we, we rarely do something yeah. that is just bad yeah <laughs> yeah it's it, it, it doesn't it doesn't come up often like you said otherwise people will think we're fucking matt damon and greg kinnear and stuck on you so <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, I, I think it is good to find your differences with people. Um, if every movie was just liked across the board, it'd be boring. This, yeah. this world would, this, this movie world would be so boring if it didn't, if there weren't divisive films, films that literally divide people up in, in opinions. It's fun to kind of shout and talk about what you love and dislike about something. That's, that's what it's all about. Damn, Skippy. This was fun. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week.